Welcome to Accelerate OC, the only show focused on the people leading innovation in Orange County. Join our host, Carrie Ransom, in his conversations with the trendsetters, entrepreneurs, investors, and leaders here, because it's time to Accelerate OC. Welcome to the Accelerate Show. I'm Carrie Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by OC4 Venture Studio, a new tech startup, company building platform, and community here in Southern California. We've got a number of amazing founders already in the studio, and if you're looking for help with your startup, want opportunities to work with the next generation of high-growth companies around here, or want to be part of this community, you can go to oc4b.com to learn more. I'm excited to have my friend Andrew Bermudez with me on Accelerate today. Uh, before we get to hear from Andrew, let me tell you a little bit about it. He is currently the founder and CEO of Digzy, which is a commercial real estate search and marketing engine. And he often calls it the Zillow for commercial real estate. Uh, he started a few years ago after a successful career as a commercial real estate professional. So we'll talk about that transition and uh, all the many things he's learned so far in this journey. Um, we met and became friends when he really was first conceiving this idea of what became Digzy several years ago. He's been through the process of raising capital. He's had to make hard choices along the way and even some pivots uh, in his startup, which is not uncommon, despite what we often seem to read in the press of these straight line companies. Um, he's gone through a lot of other challenges uh, that we all face uh, being an entrepreneur. And so we want to dig into that and share that with our audience. And I appreciate him coming on. I, I always find Andrew to be very candid and, and very uh, reflective and thoughtful about, uh, about his journey. Um, he's also been really active in the community along the way, which has been rare here uh, in the entrepreneurial community. Um, he tries to help other entrepreneurs, even though he's in the midst of his own journey. And I really appreciate him for that. Um, earlier this year, he also joined the Cal State Fullerton Center for Real Estate uh, as a board member. Uh, Andrew, great to have you here. Uh, excited to have you on the Accelerate Show today. Hey, thanks so much. Carrie. Uh, I got to tell you, man, uh, for those who are just getting to know you on the podcast, I mean, you're well known in the inner circles of the commercial real estate non-commercial real estate, but the, uh, well, you kind of had some friends in commercial real estate, but anyway, you're really entrenched in the technology community. And, um, you know, everybody has such great things to say, and I know personally why. So thank you for, you know, working so hard. We were just talking about you showing up at the, you've been there since 6 a.m. and it's 9 a.m. already, and you're just trying to really get this ecosystem tightened up. So I'm not only excited to be on here and share some uh, words with you, but I'm also, uh, I feel privileged that um, with all the stuff that you got going on, uh, you still reach out to us as entrepreneurs in Orange County. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's where it has to start, right? And uh, I, I'm a firm believer that, and that's why I'm so appreciative of you, is we, we need to encourage more entrepreneurs to be involved along the way. I, I've tried to lead by example uh, in my own journey, and I'm I'm very much of the belief that you build a better company by being out there, by being involved along the way. And you know, selfishly, um, for me, I feel like I know 
a lot of amazing people and amazing talent because of that. And so when it comes to building uh, a company and, and my general belief is that the best talent that you can put in the, in the company or on the field uh, is more likely to win. Um, that always has felt to me like my advantage. A thousand percent. So let's get to the starting line. So I gave a brief intro to Dig Z. Um, orient the audience a little bit to the company and where you are today. Yeah. Uh, so it's been a long journey. I met Carrie probably, I want to say over 10 years ago, maybe, or 10 years ago. It probably has been 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. And Carrie was introduced to me when I was still a broker and I was trying to I started a couple of companies. I started with one company that was called Broker Roster. It was a product for brokers. I uh, learned a lot. That was like my first fundraise. I raised about half a million for that. And uh, uh, you were a great mentor in trying to really make sure that I started the right thing. Uh, I think there were some things in between the lines that I should have probably read a little bit more into. But luckily, we had money in the bank and we started that. But for those of you who aren't familiar with Digsy, is think about it like Zillow for commercial real estate. Uh, prior to... Uh, Zillow, if you wanted to find properties on the market, homes for sale, you had to go talk to an agent and uh, get the list from them. So a lot of friction just to browse, just to get an idea, even if you weren't in the market. And if you weren't in the market, brokers or agents wouldn't give you the time of day. They didn't want to waste their time doing it. So what Zillow did is it basically grabbed all that data, made it accessible online and allowed the end user who was exploring or actively looking, who didn't have, let's say, an agent that they knew or trusted to access that information and educate themselves. And, you know, sometimes it's a pastime for some people. Mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to commercial real estate, we had a company uh, prior to 2012 called LoopNet. And LoopNet allowed you to steal the properties in the market. Now, what's happened is over the years, that company has got acquired back in 2012. And uh, the prices to be able to, for brokers, property owners, et cetera, got so high mm. that it just made sense to come in with a product that um, had some of the original elements from LoopNet and uh, just basically create something that would fill that void. So if you're a business owner, it can be you're in manufacturing or you're, a, let's say, a retail or a restaurateur or an office occupant like a tech company or a biotech company that needs like flex or lab space, or if you need a warehouse, or if you're even looking for multifamily as an investor, uh, Digsy gives you access to all that stuff for free. Uh, brokers and property owners can list all their inventory for free. And really uh, our model is much more of like a lead generation uh, SaaS tools that are baked into the platform that allow these individuals, uh, meaning you know the commercial real estate professionals, to be able to capture and generate more leads VR tools mm -hmm. and also gain more exposure by upgrading their accounts. So before, before I go uh, uh, too much farther, so as you think about, you mentioned LoopNet um, as, a, as a prior company. I mean, one of the things that I like as a, a model, um, as an entrepreneur is to really study, which you, you know the, the history of this marketplace pretty well with companies like LoopNet, as you mentioned, CoStar, which is another big commercial data company. As you, as you look at the business models of the incumbents, often one of the strategies is to come in with a very different business model and likely one that they're not going to copy because they just don't have the, the stomach for it or the skills for it or what have you. Um, what, what have you learned along the way about this market that has led you to end up with the, the model that you have? 
Oh, there's a ton of stuff. We could spend about an hour talking about this. But for us, uh, the first thing we did was um, we started with the idea by meeting some of the original LoopNet guys like that were there from day one. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of them became investors. Some of them became part of our team on an advisory board capacity. Some of them were hands-on and some of them are still friends. Like I'm friends with the founder of LoopNet, Dennis DeAndre. So learned a lot from them. And what was easy for us is to understand that there was no, uh, there, there are a ton, there's about 50 commercial real estate online marketplaces online. Mm-hmm. The problem has been uh, they either have very poor SEO, so they don't drive leads to the commercial real estate professionals and, and owners. Uh, two, there is, um, there's like this land grab for data and it's really hard to get data from the brokers. Uh, some companies should scrape all the time so the information is inaccurate. Uh, and that's a problem even if you've got density or, or, or market capture or market share because uh, simply there's uh, keeping data up to date is is a tug of war between the agents and that because they want to live their listings up so that they get the phone call and find out oh i'm looking to buy uh so we looked at what the what the thing was and there wasn't anything that had great seo and at the same time uh was free to list so we started with that and we all we thought about it differently um because there are 50 companies out there trying to do the same thing we said look uh the value is not going to be in the data Uh, a lot of people are very they're not happy customers of the existing incumbents. Uh, what was missing was everybody was trying to sell to the broker, but we understood that the beauty of LoopNet was making that information accessible, the listings to the tenants, buyers, investors. So we decided to focus on that niche rather than trying to like get the brokers to leave whatever they're using to find properties for their customers. We said, Hey, this is a way for you to get new customers. Hmm right? So that you'll get additional phone calls. And then we work really hard on the SEO, which we, it's a constant thing. We show up mm-hmm. on the first page of Google in the markets that we're in. Um, but then from that, we always thought about it. How can we make it so we're not, data wants to be free and the current companies out there charge a lot of money for the data, but listing data, I mean, you can just collect it. I mean, the moment that somebody figures out how to get all the data, then you just, you're already commoditized from day one. So we said, what kind of things can we do that make them make us more of like a SaaS company that the marketplace is more of a lead generation engine and yeah they can upgrade their accounts to receive more leads but what if their properties don't show that well what can we do that not only work on our platform but not dependent on our traffic and then we started realizing that uh most uh, brokers miss a lot and, and even landlords miss deals on the market because they don't know who's looking at their listing so we started developing technologies that once you created a listing on digsy if you're an upgraded member you can create these links that you can share on email blast social media other platforms which just recently started doing 3d tours and the average revenue per users like anywhere from 750 to two grand mm-hmm. <laughs> so it and that's within 90 days mm-hmm. so we ended up saying okay well if we can scale that up and we give them these tools that they can basically capture leads online or on their own or using our data and they can use them on every platform that we can actually uh, have that hook of a SaaS company rather than always being dependent on the number of inventory. You still have to have good inventory, but not so much because once, let's say somebody doesn't wanna sign up for our platform, they don't see value in it for some reason or another. There's a lot of brokers, especially in like large uh, brokerage teams, 90% of the deals they do they do with uh, with other brokers. Hmm. So since we're not catering to the broker, right? You'd go, okay, so how do you solve this problem? Well, they wanna see 
which brokers are looking at their stuff. They want to know who's in the market. They want to have email address, phone number, and all that stuff verified. So we said, well, here, you know, create your, put your listings on Digsy, sign up for a, an upgraded account, and then all of a sudden you can grab that brochure. And anytime that somebody tries to download it in one of the other services that they're already using, you'll know exactly who's, uh, who's actively looking at that stuff, whether it's an investor, a developer, or a broker. So we've always been more of like, hey, the marketplaces in commercial real estate are commoditized. What can we do to, to turn ourselves into uh, a really sticky utility? And the marketplace is really more of a lead generation engine and it works. They receive leads, but for some reason, if their pictures look bad, then it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Also, um, Digzoo allows them to see everybody who's looking at their listings, downloading their brochures, matter portors, and all these things, all these little actions that happen. Uh, we have an internal grading program, which basically says, hey, somebody viewed your listing. That's probably a cold thing. They probably, it's like mm-hmm. opening, sending an email blast and then seeing that somebody opened it. They probably opened it to delete it. But if they open that email three or four times sure. and then they open it up a week later, then it seems to have that, that, that um, the intent is higher. Mm-hmm. So we've baked these in, this information. So like somebody viewed your listing, they unlocked the brochure, they took the 3D tour. Like now, you know, like the system will basically say, Carrie, you got to call this person. Sure. That's super, super helpful. W- whether it's on our platform or not. Sure. So commercial real estate, uh, you know, it, it, this is one of those spaces, you know, here uh, in the heart of Southern California, uh, it is felt like it's driven a lot of the economy here for a long time. There's the, you know, go to USC, uh, get into the, the family business of commercial real estate. There's kind of a reorientation to some extent underway right now in certainly a number of these asset classes, right? Office, uh, retail, <laughs> hotels. I'm just reading this morning about some really marquee hotels that are closing uh, amidst this. So what's your forecast for sort of the, the road ahead with regard to uh, commercial real estate? You know, it's an interesting thing because it's not like any cycle. So I've been through three cycles uh, in commercial real estate. So I went through, actually, this is a third cycle. The first cycle was I started in 99 as a broker. And the first cycle was around 2001, all of the technology companies, a lot of the reason I'm in tech is because I was a self-taught programmer before I started commercial real estate. And when I did, a lot of my clients were internet companies or tech companies Mm -hmm. or video game companies. Mm -hmm. So we had that implosion of the internet bubble. Then the mortgage companies and the real estate companies started picking up. So we went through that. And you can kind of notice it like around 2006, 2007, uh, 2008 really when like uh, the hammer dropped. And that recession took a long time to get out. It probably started seeing signs of life around like maybe three and a half, four years outside of 2008. So like around 2012. And this one's interesting um, simply because it's a disease oriented uh, deceleration. Uh, When you look at hospitality, so like hotels and you know, these, these places travel, there's no traveling going on because of quarantine. Uh, And also you have Airbnb. Uh, so they were already getting compressed by Airbnb and all of a sudden, like you also uh, have this thing. So I think it'll take a while for the hospitality to change. I think it'll probably take them. A, I think they'll start seeing signs. If, 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 if this is, if we find uh, if things come back to normal in the next six to maybe eight months, I think it will probably take about from that period, about 18 months 
and probably even 24 months to start recovering, but there's gonna be a lot of fallout from operators that just don't have the deep pockets. In office, it's, it's interesting. Um, you can't go back to the office, uh, mainly is because you have to have six foot social distancing. A lot of these places have elevators. It's rare that you have like a building that only has one story. And the elevators are not six feet apart. <laughs> so if you have 10 employees, can you imagine, and there's only four elevators, maybe six or 10 and some larger projects. It takes you longer, like hours, to get to your floor when you can just have people working from home. Uh, however, because of social distancing, you have uh, different counties mandating that, hey, you used to occupy 200 square feet per employee. Now you have to do 400 to 500. Mm. Somewhere, it depends on the, on, on the type of business and space, which means that even if they wanted to downsize, now they need the same amount of square footage. Um, a lot of the companies that have been growing have been you know, health-related companies. Um, but I don't think office is going to go away. I think that now we're going to have higher productivity with being able to hire people offsite. Uh, but I think office, it's probably going to take the same amount of time, 18 months from the moment that things, you know, come back to normal to, to Excel. They're really, I mean, I've brokers right now, all of our customers, my team talks to our customers who are in the office space, uh, uh, discipline and it's crickets. So anytime that they can do anything to get more traffic through or anything, they're doing it, but n nobody's going back to the office. Industrial <laughs> is huge right now because of all the e-commerce, et cetera. It's like 1% vacancy. Mm -hmm. Buildings are still selling at top dollar. So industrial is historically always done pretty well. Like in the last recession that we had, it was probably like it, the lowest it got or the highest I got was between 5% vacancy all the way up to maybe six in some markets. And keep in mind, if you're an investor, your performance design, like as soon as you hit 95% occupancy, you're set, you're already mm -hmm. profitable. Mm -hmm. Imagine now they're already profitable and they only have one space vacant for every hundred. Mm -hmm. uh, now retail, that's going to be rough. What's interesting in retail is essential businesses like the Walmarts, the pharmacies, you know, anything that has a drive-through food that has a drive-through, they're doing well, well-capitalized businesses like Chipotle, like Chipotle never opened up drive-throughs. Now they're opening up drive-throughs mm -hmm. like crazy. Um, and you're starting to see that, but I think the traditional space for retail, like the mom and pops that kind of live paycheck to paycheck and it's a major, it's a, it's a huge number of, of businesses. I think you're going to have some major fallout there. I don't think that's going to be within an 18 window from things coming back to normal. I think it's going to be like a 26 month, 36 month thing. Uh, but what's interesting is um, all of these in triple net investment brokers, we have a ton of them on our platform. They're closing deals like crazy for CVS, you know, mm -hmm. 20 year uh, leases, corporate credit, essential businesses. If you're an essential business, you're doing well. If Walmart's looking for a new location, boom, that's going to happen. But anything small, like the rest, small restaurant, restaurant tour, et cetera, that's, that's, um, that's taking a huge toll. So if you have a strip mall, um, Carrie, I hope you unloaded it um, mm. 18 months ago. Yeah, thankfully, uh, that's not uh, a place where I am exposed. But I think thank you for orienting people to sort of the landscape because it is highly varied. You know, it's been interesting because, you know, I, I, I was mentioning the, sort of the, it felt like uh, commercial real estate you know, drives a lot of the economy here. Uh, it, it, it seemed like for a long time, all of those asset classes, office, hotel, retail, industrial, multifamily, all 
we're performing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we as humans have this tendency to get really complacent yeah. and believe things are just going to keep going. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, I grew up in a family business and it lasted almost 150 years. So I get something can work for a long, long, long time. Yeah. But I, I tend to subscribe to this whole belief of things work until they don't work. Yeah. And that we, you know, we as entrepreneurs have to constantly be paying attention to um, the, the tea leaves and the signals that there may be some cracks in, in something. And often we wait too long um, to make those changes because, uh, you know, and, and that's the, you know, the innovator slowness. That's why a lot of incumbent companies yeah. get disrupted because it, it's really hard. And we were talking about that earlier with just, you know, studying the existing players and coming up with new disruptive or divergent business models that, that solve a new problem. You know, it's interesting when people, uh, the entrepreneurs and, and, you know, since I was a kid, I've tried to like figure out how things work Mm -hmm. and really been observant, talking to people like yourself, et cetera. And I think one skill set that I think is my curiosity for how things work and why there's disorder, chaos, and then there's order. Mm -hmm. Um, If it wasn't for, you know, like, like business and life is like a wave, right? And sometimes it's going in this direction, the wind's blowing in that direction. But you, I mean, if you learn how to surf and with experience, you can sort of anticipate the pattern. So it's pattern recognition, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what you can see is that the, the fact that in, if you look at, I'm a big into quantum physics, but if you see the fact that we have entropy and at the same time we have order, but then you, when you go into order and you see the atoms, they're all and the electrons are all vibrating. It's not there's order. They're not fixed. And the fact that when they, they come together, when they collide, they create a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people will relate that to something like that's entropy. And if you go further down, you, it, it gets crazy. But the one thing is the fact that this is happening is actually why the, we create opportunities. Because like 150 years, you guys had to have, even though you were around for 150 years, you weren't staying on your laurels. You guys looked at the economy. You said, we have a family business. You're reading the tea leaves, like you mentioned, and you're starting to like, you know, put your like finger in the mm-hmm. head this with the other hand. Um, but you're starting to like feel which way the wind's going. And, you know, when you have a big uh, company that's been around for, for years and they're not innovating, it's really, really hard for them to move the whole entire whale. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're just like this little tiny nimble fish, that has that experience, you can actually uh, start seeing, okay, well, let's take them the opposite thing. Great. My, my, I own a bunch of hospitality business. My, my business is going to shit, right? Okay. So who's going to, the people that are uh, saying, okay, well now I'm an investor investing in, in uh, distressed assets. Can I pick up that hotel? Can I reposition it? Mm-hmm. And I do a lot of things. So sort of like these shifts that happen, uh, create opportunities for their people. And that's exactly what we've had the opportunities in tech companies to come in and see the way their things are done. The changes, not only in culture generations, but also seeing the change that's happening in, in this. Like one of the examples was uh, we're doing a lot of, you know, 3D Matterport tours for office buildings and other buildings. Mm-hmm. And for a 10th of the cost, we were able, that was one thing that said, hey, you know, why can you, why, if you're going to spend $300 a night in Vegas, you get this beautiful tour of the room, but in commercial real estate, where you're going to start spending 10 grand a month, you get one picture and this floor plan, you can't figure out and you, mm-hmm. and they won't afford this. Now there's a lot of reasons why. 
but we figured out that if you brought the price down, not only can we get the membership fees on a monthly fee, so you get the SaaS and they get all the tools, but at the same time, it becomes a really, really sticky product. And that product, since it goes on other platforms, can start marketing our brand. So that's been successful for us in addition to, uh, in, in, in addition to the lead capture and lead generation tools that the software provides. Very cool. Well, let's, uh, let's go a little deeper here, Andrew. So you've now been at this for several years in your entrepreneurial journey. What have you really learned about yourself through this? A lot, uh, that, so main thing is, um, I've learned that I, when I first started my, the fact that I expect a lot of myself and for myself, uh, extended to my team and I really burnt them out initially. I didn't have a great relationship Thought that I had to have all the answers. If I didn't have the answers for the team that, and it really warned people out, they just didn't feel like that. So a book that I recommend highly is one of my friends who used to run the commercial division at auction.com. I uh, recommended, I told him I was going through this thing and he recommended me this book multipliers. And I read this years ago. In fact, my friend's going through this and I bought him the book. So I'm going to ship this out to him. Very cool. Uh, I recommend it. And so I had to learn how to actually be, you know, how to work with people, right? People can be, I was basically doing the opposite. If you want somebody who's talented to become more talented, you, there's certain things you got to let them figure out things. So people and working with people, even though I've been working with people my whole life, um, I would say that, oh man, I am embarrassed of, of the way I treated people. I wasn't rude or anything. It's just, I expected a lot of people and I always like basically uh, diminished them without intending to. So that's the main thing Two, market sizing, <laughs> uh, market sizing. If you remember when, when we first met, we had that tool broker roster and we raised money like half a million. I was like, oh man, how do we raise this money? Because once like we started going into it, we couldn't figure out a way to make money. And then when we've kind of like figured out, we said, how many commercial active commercial brokers are there in, in the US? There's about 300,000, right? And then you go, okay, well, how many people in commercial real estate? And there's about a million. So then you go, okay, well, this is never gonna make money. And we even had that issue with what we tried after, which was with it for six months and then Digsy kind of like came about. But um, a lot of the problems we had with Digsy was that the competitors' prices, even though we knew from internal sources, the competitors' prices weren't moving up fast enough. So we had to get creative on how to make money, stay alive, and continue to raise money. Raising money, uh, putting slideshows, really getting you know to the root of the problem, like understanding that no matter what you look at, it's a solution for a problem, took me a long time. And I'll give you an example. To this day, when I'm planning, and I catch myself like listing opportunities I, I stop myself and literally and I plan on I have like a I use I can use Apple notes or notion but I, whenever I get myself stuck I go what's the problem we're trying to solve right now for this week even if it's like an initiative I catch myself and I go okay what is it and we go okay we're trying to create a scalable sales model and then it clicks and then all the other ideas I just archive into a different folder and I go okay this is what we're focusing on and then I, uh, I go around that. A lot of the times when I'm trying to um, get my thoughts together, you know what I'll do? I'll create a pitch deck as if I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to move it to an investor because that really puts, okay, what is the problem I'm trying to solve? What's the market size? What's going to be the strategy? And yeah, it may take me five hours. I do it over a period of a week. I try not to crank. You can't crank things out in a day or two. Like 
give it some time mm-hmm. because as soon as you put it away a couple of days later, you wake up and you go, you know what? That's what it was. Here's where the friction is. Like I should do this. And every time I look at it, I, I think of it like a pitch deck problem, solution, market, right? Competition. And I'll do the same thing. Even if it's not like a whole business concept, I'll do mm-hmm. it in the sense of, uh, if I'm just working on like a specific initiative we have internally, and that's been something sometimes I forget. And then as soon as I forget, I'm like, okay, let's go back. What are we trying to solve? And then I've also learned from, you know, having been an engineer and working with our our tech team that when you have a list of things uh, that you can do, uh, we do kind of like, you know, when you do like a, like, planning what your next features or bug fixes are going to be, how you do like ice, like impact, confidence, effort. Mm-hmm. I just did this yesterday. I'm going, okay, well, we understand what the problem is. We're trying to go after this initiative, you know, and we have this list of like promising ideas. And then we basically, or I personally ice the problem and I go, oh, I just got to focus on these two things this week. And then the rest ones can go next week and the following week while I'm trying to figure out how do we further scale this service that we're making so much money on. So it's experience, uh, but really is always stop yourself. Just create a deck as if you were like trying to sell this to an investor, whether it's a, a business or a simple initiative or a strategy. Strategy, it, it works really well with strategy, but I've just learned a lot about first is people uh, and learning how to empower people and help them grow rather than telling them what to do mm-hmm. and having the answers. It's took me a long time not to have the answers. I mean, if you meet me, I mean, from where you met me before, where you'd say something and I immediately try to answer it. Now I just go, Carrie, you know what? I, I really don't know. What do you think? And it's not because I'm being facetious. It's because I've grown older, you know? I think a, a lot of the stuff would have changed if I would have had kids earlier and I still don't have kids. Hopefully we'll, we'll have one on the way here shortly. Um, but yeah. Really, really appreciate the, the reflection and, and thoughts there. And, and hopefully some other newer, younger entrepreneurs can take some, some things away from, from that. I mean, if you, if you were to go back uh, 10 years to the beginning, uh, and, and it, as you, you know, think about, okay, what are the two things that if I, I could have done differently then, are, do you have those that you really feel like you, you can draw from? Or is a lot of this about evolving to where the market has actually evolved and it's more of a timing issue with this business. yeah so i mean uh, other entrepreneurs are going to have it way easier than i than i do so commercial the reason why you haven't seen a lot of breakthrough in commercial real estate i'll tell you here here's my well from what i've learned what i've observed mm-hmm. looking at the system so usually like let's say we create a new enterprise SaaS product we go to the cio or the it department we sell it we have this eight month sales mm-hmm. cycle and you got you deal with one person or maybe a group of influencers or decision makers in commercial real estate you've got the corporation so the big firm let's say a cbre or a jll they want to make as much money as possible then the manager the what they call the managing director the guy who handles either one office or a region uh has to their their objective is to grow revenue acquire talent and at the same time keep the brokers happy so it's not like they can go in there and tell the brokers what to do because they're 1099 like if i start telling you know one of my top performers how to do their job or what we need they'll tell me to f off and they'll get they'll move to another firm so you have no control 
and you have very little influence. So the company wants control and influence and grow revenues. And then you have this person who's basically their business model is to go and recruit talent from another firm mm. rather than growing their own culture. So now you end up with a bunch of different cultures under the same hat. And then the managing director wants to make more money. Let's say one of our team members talks to that managing director who goes, great, but I need you to present to everybody in my office and the people who want to sign up will sign up. And then if we get enough offices and we might be able to do a deal with corporate. And here's one of the things that LoopNet found out is like, once I went to corporate and they got some of that traction, uh, and this is from the original LoopNet guys, um, what happened is they were trying to negotiate the prices down. So we don't sell to like one person. <laughs> you had to sell to a bunch of people. So you kind of have mm-hmm. to hack it because it's kind of like you assimilate it to like Dropbox, right? Initially, Dropbox would have never been allowed in the IT department. But they, were, they had to make it super efficient for individual users to spread the word. And you know Sean Ellis, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, he lives not too far away from you. And he's, he's actually an investor in our company too. So Sean said, hey, it's costing us on Google AdWords, it's costing us X amount of hundreds of bucks to get it to sell a $99 a year product. And then they developed the, the referral program and then it, things took off. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to look at those and, um, and the landscape. And then you have brokers who do things one way. And then, for example, how many new agents, like you would be early adopters as a brokerage, hire a year? So one office of about anywhere from 40 to 100 people will hire 10 new agents a year. And seven of them will go away because they just can't make it. Commercial real estate's really, really hard. And then you end up with three and those three just do what their bosses say. And like, they can't really mm-hmm. buy stuff on their own. They don't have the money. So it, it's a mess. So the one thing that I would say, if I had to go back, I would probably go back with what I know now about the, how fractured this market is and start applying some of the things from that we've learned from different systems and just experience. But it robs you of the ride, though. I mean, I think the painful is I remember when I was raising my first round of funding, I was raising like half a million and I had like, it had been like eight months and we only had like $130,000 in the bank. Mm-hmm. We still couldn't close. And I, I went down to the, I went through like a nervous breakdown. Like I was crying. My now wife was like sitting there just like that. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't anything. And then I met Chris Hawkins from sign now. And you know, Chris, he's a, uh, you know, he sold that company to Barracuda, I think. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like the DocuSign competitor. Uh, and he basically put perspective. He's like, okay. And, you know, and I got uh, introduced by him by one of the venture capitalists here locally that didn't invest in the company. And that was just a turning point. And that's what you're saying. You got to talk to a lot of people and, you know, find out, talk to other entrepreneurs, get on the counter. I mean, me, Chris, you, we all want to pay it forward because we know how hard it is, but we also know that that's how we've gotten to where we are. And uh, I would just say, I think that the first thing I would have done actually looking back and I'm glad, thank you for letting me do this therapeutic thought exercise. The first thing I would have done is I would have gone out of my way and meet a lot and learn how to ask the right questions so that I could have met you faster, Chris faster, Sean faster, a lot of people faster. Good, good feedback. And I think, you know, working through that even is, uh, is a really interesting perspective. I'm really glad we we were able to capture that to share (laughs) with, uh, share with others. So you, you've raised capital both from people in your industry, you mentioned some of that earlier, as well as the community. Um, mm-hmm. As you think about that, you know, what, what's worked to help you do that? Relationships, um, 
listening <laughs> really is uh, a lot of entrepreneurs I see and I it remember I remember how I was when I first started was we feel like we have to have all the answers and we go into a room saying I need to nail this one I need to nail this one but really is you're there to learn so if you're not getting the money or you have even if somebody asks like a question you're not going to have all the right answers you've never been in this space before so how can you it's, it's like somebody asking you okay so how many degrees off do we have to be in this coordinate to be able to land on the moon and then you start bsing your way through it's like you've never been there you have no idea and it, it, there's like brilliant scientists that have way more expertise that you will ever fathom to go there so the thing is to listen and be like okay so what do you feel this is? and I, it took me a long time to do it um the the community it's just really about relationships that it's much more about getting money and we lucked out getting money from people who can actually help you uh who can who can um who have expertise like robin pimentel you know he's our board member he's an investor not only is is k5 ventures investor but he's a personal investor in our company and he's been incredible the relationships he has that but it's just really learning how to think about the problem put a deck together be very thoughtful about how the different components go together and then asking people I, if i had to do it again if i had to raise money i would probably put a deck together and i'd be like hey carrie um here what am i missing and you'd be surprised how many times those people when they see you work through that they'll actually volunteer to put money in your company because what you're trying to do is you're trying to you're trying to make the risk you this 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 venture you have mm -hmm. so it's all about talking to as many people as possible but then you you can't just like spend months doing this you have to just go to a few trusted thing and think okay i have a good start i know that as soon as i start pitching I'm going to get some feedback and perspectives that I, didn't, uh, pre, that I didn't have before. And it's because instead of me sitting in front of Carrie and Carrie gives me feedback on my deck, now it's like 30 people if I'm presenting at Techos Angels who have different experiences who are gonna give me some feedback that I can think about. And the deck, the deck always changes, as you know. <laughs> you go to one meeting, you go to that. But try not to just change it every time. You have to be very thoughtful about like, okay, somebody gave me this piece of feedback. Oh, I should definitely incorporate this thing. And then you find out that this person's like, a like a like a real estate loan banker he's not even like part of tca or techos angels or anything like that or the investment group so uh, but it, it all comes with experience thank you for sharing so i, I mentioned earlier you know you were pretty active in the uh have been active in the community uh, even along the way as you've been starting and pivoting and uh growing digsy uh, what what was your strategy in in why you uh, why you did that? I think you know as I mentioned, I think we need more entrepreneurs uh, involved and visible out there at all stages, and uh, that that's something that I think will really help the community. Um, what 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 was your strategy? Uh, so I had a few things that I was thinking about uh, there. It was. Um, well, first of all, like the, the thing was create visibility for my company, mm -hmm. for our company. Uh, that was one, uh, whether it was from potential investors, uh, potential, you know, startups are companies that need space. So mm -hmm. uh, that too, uh, in talking with you, Kostin Tukulescu, who you had introduced me to uh, from any meeting, then what? for meeting Sean, et cetera. I noticed that a, the reason why a lot of people weren't like going to any networking events and things like that was because a lot of the people that would show up were either too early or they couldn't really uh, leverage their experience. So I said, well, 
what if we could use, you know, we started doing events at the Eureka building. What if we could, you know, I bring carry on or I bring, you know, Gary Heath on like a lot of these individuals who are really talented in Orange County. There's like no platform for them, at least just like the people who have made it, who have experience, who, who know how to kind of, you know, uh, sift the weed from the shaft because they've done it before. Uh, there's no motivation to, for them to go there. There used to be something back in the early 2000s called OCVG, OC Venture Group. Mm-hmm. And that was really, really good because you'd get, you know, uh, the guys from Miramar Ventures, you get um, Randy Lund there and a lot of really well-known entrepreneurs. But that kind of went away. It got bought out and it never was the same again. And I'm like, oh, can we do something like that? And also, you know, bring people who want to learn about the technology experience. So it was much more about the same thing that, that I mentioned was I wanted to accelerate meeting the Carrie Ransoms and the Costin Tugulescu's and like the Sean Ellis's. So I created this group and said, hey, look, I'm going to have these individuals here and do it. And then, you know, did it for a couple of years. That's when I was running the events. And uh, now anybody who reaches out to me, either on LinkedIn or friendships, et cetera, or even students from Cal State Fullers, I'm happy to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was really just about accelerating, um, you know, the, I, I guess you'd call it like trying to reinvent like the PayPal mafia, but like the OC tech entrepreneur mafia kind of like mm-hmm. that. I, that was really my interest is to really create a sound, sound um, mm-hmm. force of energy. And we, we still need more of that. For sure. Yes, I think, agreed. I think your, your instincts were spot on. I mean, you know, part of the reason why I started this show last year was to draw more awareness and create more collisions and build a little bit more uh, of a community and sense of, of who's here, what are they doing, um, you know, in those areas of, of innovation and, and investment. But you started doing something like that. Like, I remember, uh, I'm not sure if you still do them, but you started doing these breakfasts over in Costa Mesa mm-hmm. and you invite me and then some other guys that you know that are uh, well, um, basically they've done pretty well. So are you still having those? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. cool. Yes. So as you think about, you know, being an entrepreneur here in, uh, in Orange County in, in Southern California, uh, and, and maybe you compare notes with people in other markets, you, you know, how, how would you describe it to someone as uh, a place to really try to get an idea and, and company off the ground? Oh man, ideas are everywhere. Um, you have a lot of tech companies like Dan's company, Cario. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a lot of people love Orange County. We don't have the traffic that we do in LA. It's a good place to like raise your family. A lot of people from even the Bay Area are moving out here. Uh, so I, I would say it's, it's a great place to, to build. Yeah. We don't have like what you call Silicon beach and you have a lot of the venture capital firms over there, but you don't have to be where all the venture capital firms are. You just have to have talent and mentorship. Mm-hmm. So go out. I mean, if you already know Carrie, go out and meet somebody, Hey, who do you know in this, in this space that just have a problem always try to provide value when you're trying to meet somebody too, because it's like, Hey, Carrie, I want to meet you. And you're just like, who the hell are you? You know, usually personal references uh, help a lot because they'll, it's almost like your filter, you know, like let's say for example, Kyle meets somebody at a, at a mixer and then also, you know, he asks questions and then uh, he goes, Hey Carrie, I, I think you should meet this person. So your network really can help on that. But I don't, I think it's a great place. Um, there's a lot of variety 
and uh, there's a lot of people who you know don't have the financial pressure of super expensive i mean real estate's expensive out here but it's not like the same as if you're in santa monica mm -hmm. uh and there's a lot of great talent the the, the problem has been which you're, you're you've started to change as of a couple years ago is that none of these people know each other mm -hmm. so we, we kind of have to get all that group together in like one center of gravity and really just start forming our little tech earth, bring them together. So they're like one solid object. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do we get more, uh, how do we get more people to show up? How do we get more people to share? Uh, how do we get more people to invest in your mind? So one thing uh, was the investment is, I don't think the investment's that big, big of a problem. I think that with our networks here, there's plenty of money in Orange County. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least for like an angel round, friends and family, or even uh, a seed round. Um, I, I think what I really like that OCVG did um, was really capturing the attention of the entrepreneurs and investors by bringing in somebody who they could learn from. So for example, like let's say uh, Carrie Ransom. Let's just use your platform because you've been you've been building this for a while. So you you have the uh, ADS. By the way, I got to give you all the emails and contacts from like our group's mailing list because we have several hundred there. Um, but the one thing is, if the local venture capitalists, the local probably wealthy individuals, uh, the uh, angel investors, and also the entrepreneurs if we were to do like a once a month talk with somebody uh, that they know and respect, like imagine if we had Fred Wilson come in and talk to us about what he, what technology trends he's seeing in New York, et cetera, like that would be epic, right? We would have a high turnout, but if we just get all these people together for coffee or breakfast, there's, there's like, not like I have to be there. Um, that would be something because everybody wants to learn something applicable to, you know, wealth creation or, or, or business creation. So that's the, the only thought I have right now would be to okay. kind of just big bait on, on a small hook. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's a great, a great idea. How have you had any success and, and, and any thoughts about, you know, particularly, you mean, you, you know, you mentioned like we, we don't lack for money. I think we lack for people who understand venture building, venture capital risk. Mm -hmm. and, and what that looks like have you but yet the startups are your biggest creator of jobs in mm -hmm. an economy yeah so there's a mismatch i have i own property there aren't people to be in that property particularly office for example if mm -hmm. there aren't jobs yeah so have you had any success in helping people understand the connection between venture investing company building jobs and how that drives a, a local economy ah huh, that's an interesting question let me think about this you know as you were saying that what i was thinking about is that a lot like even even our angel investors who are in real estate who haven't done this before uh, they do understand commercial real estate because they come from the industry and they see the thought process. And some of them would ask, how does this work? Like what's a, 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 what's a convertible note? 
um, nobody's really educating them. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes if Carrie Ransom goes to a friend that has like say a family office or a friend who's probably wealthy that has real estate experience, he might introduce him to Andrew Bermudez and end up investing in the company. But you know, <clears throat> that would be a really good event, uh, Carrie. Um, I could put together my network and you could put together your network and then Kyle could put together his network. We should start educating. Most people that I talk to see the multiples of 8x, 10x, 20x on these investments because, you know, a lot of the money in Orange County is real estate money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they want to get doesn't those get those kinds of returns. No, you get like three, five, 10% if you're lucky in a redevelopment, but there's so much time, energy and expense that goes up front to, to get 10%, 20% if you're a developer, right? Uh, and that's just like, you're talking two years of construction. It's just a mass commissions, all the stuff, all the parties go involved where you can actually just make one simple transaction. Um, it'd be interesting that if, um, you know, your group could create sort of like a, like a like a seminar almost on site or even virtually right now during COVID that says, "Hey, um, how do you what like how do you inv- if you haven't invested in, in tech startups, how do you do it?" Mm-hmm. And then obviously when you do the presentation, it, it's saying like, "Here's why we invest in this. Look, my family's owned real estate for 150 years. Here's the way that um, here's the way that we do it uh, on this end. Multiples are greater." higher risk um, rule of thumb is you know five to maybe 15 percent of your portfolio you create this kind of like venture stuff hook up with people who know the industry uh, and don't just like do follow on with them uh, learn about this x y and z and then basically we start educating these individuals to kind of um, to invest in these technology companies i think a lot of it has been that you have to meet one person you meet another person so the 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 invest the investment criteria has gone um, it, it's just too much friction that's what i mean oh but tremendous if we were... amounts right it's it's uh the return on effort the return on time is really low mm-hmm. and in in many respects and i think you know the innovation communities that have really figured this out have determined that no it's it we have to take a portfolio strategy here and that I think is, is one of the big impediments here as opposed yeah. to a portfolio strategy. People feel like each, each deal has to be deeply underwritten, almost like a commercial project where you have yeah. certainty. And when it's a small dollar investment, I'm not saying throw caution to the wind and just sprinkle money everywhere, but there has to be some recognition that this is a huge drag on the actual forward progress. And you spend a year to raise $250,000 for a business. That's, that's a tremendously uh, friction filled process that not only is it holding the company back, it's uh, probably taken a toll on that founder or founding team and maybe they've missed their window. And I think yeah. that, that other innovation communities have really figured that out and uh, instead, you know, surround the founder with your know, capital is one of the inputs, but also that you know, team and mentorship and the other key things that you need to, to give it the best chance 
for success. But yeah, I think part of the innovation process is struggle and failing and, and pivoting through it. But you can do that a lot faster. In my belief, you can do that a lot faster in a community as opposed to having to figure it all out on yourself. By yourself. Yes, absolutely. And that, you know, keep in mind, I think part of the slow progress I had was we didn't have those, um, we, we didn't have that infrastructure. It's better now, especially even better with you and, and Kyle and, and the rest of your team. But the, the thing is back when I started, um, back in like 2013, 2014, um, it was like we didn't have that infrastructure. So I, I, I didn't have that. And that's not to blame that. I made mistakes. I could have, I could have gone on my way. If I knew what I know now, I would have done a lot more things. I would do a lot of things differently, but maybe, maybe the strategy is like educate these investors via somebody who, who's trying to create, like who's done it before, who's trying to create a fund, but invite those people to partake in the meetings and see how it works and say, Hey, just because you invest in the fund, if you like a company, you can angel invest in them here. Usually like the, like the, like the rules of thumb that you want to do. But if like a lot of people do want to invest in tech companies, the thing is they don't know how. Mm -hmm. So education, I think would be key on, on that. So how do you keep yourself relevant and sharp and innovative? Uh, like me personally, mm -hmm. uh, I love to learn, man. Um, I read a lot. Um, I, I'm an awkward bird in the sense that a lot of the times, you know, you'll just hear the same stuff, but I, like when I have a problem, like I'll go reach out to you. Like we did when we first started doing some of the stuff that we started doing uh, this year. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'll sit down with you. I'll talk to friends. I'll try to meet new individuals, but I tend to just read a lot and I'll read stuff. Like I love biographies on mm -hmm. individuals that, that, you know, like, one of my favorite, two of my favorite biographies is Henry Rockefeller's biography Titan by Ron Chernow. And the other one is, and I forgot who the author was. It's uh, Andrew Carnegie on how they built these big businesses. Yeah. And then, you know, just read a lot, read a lot about like just things on like management or, but a lot of things in management are BS. You kind of have to be careful. Mm -hmm. So I ask a lot, my friends for book recommendations. Um, I'll also, I'm a big like quantum physics nerd. So I'll watch like, like literally at night I'm watching stuff on YouTube, right. About like space time or this or that, or there's other individuals. You got Sean Carroll who talks about like multiple universes, which all makes sense, but they're all theories. Right. Mm -hmm. But then when I look at these things and the way that they're working, it sparks an idea on my mind. on like, okay, this can apply to business strategy in one, in one sense, et cetera. So I spend a lot of time trying to, figure out what the, the patterns are in different things. Uh, so that's really how I do it is like, I try to, you know, focus on something that I am having a problem with or that I like to learn about, but I would don't just pick anything, anything up. I'll, I'll ask for book recommendations and then, you know, I travel through YouTube and just try to figure things. I, I love like interviews with other entrepreneurs. Mm. Um, so that was, that's been really good. Like everybody knows, you know, Jason Calacanis' uh, podcast that also has a YouTube version of it. So I'll spend a lot of time on there, um, reading about marketplaces, seeing interviews. So just learning about like startups, businesses, and science. And, you know, part of the scientific progress, like I was watching this interview with Joe Rogan and Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar is the guy who, before Bob Lazar, nobody knew that Area 51 existed. Right. So he's the guy who came out in the 80s, late 80s in 89 and said, hey, 
there were reverse engineering UFOs and he was explaining all this stuff. And then sure enough, everything that he said, and it's true, everything that he says, Area 51 exists. S4, where he worked at, exists. This element that wasn't available back then, they've been able to create that element. Um, and, you know, it's hard to debase that. So they, they were asking, very similar to how Apple was before when Steve Jobs was around, um, the problem was, so he and his team, basically, he can only talk to his buddy, and they were working on how the propulsion system was working for one of these UFOs. It was a gravity, um, it was a space-time, like, bending that was making these things, you know, do what they did, but they couldn't figure out how to work. But ev they didn't know any of the other teams and what they were doing on that. And they had nine alien ships, right? Mm -hmm. And I may sound like a cuckoo guy. I'm just looking at, like, just the... Uh, I don't care if people believe them or not, but I'm just fascinated with like the process and the technology and why things have been so covert. So uh, it, it isn't a topic that really interests me either, but the technology part really interests me. Um, so the problem that they had is, so there were two people working the propulsion system. They had hundreds of these people, but none of them could talk to each other. And part of the scientific progress is that, uh, or process is that you accelerate finding out how to make a business work or how to make something work by different teams coming in with different ideas and different findings, but they're not allowed to work, uh, mm. work together. And that's why I think that in the scientific process of building a business, you got to uh, collaborate and communicate with other entrepreneurs, other people have really talented team members and have these different perspectives and actually listen to them. Don't think you have all the answers, which is a mistake I made early on, but part of the scientific process, which means any system, anything that you're trying to build or tear apart, and finding out how it works is you got to talk to people. Mm. I think that's a great, uh, a great piece of advice to, to leave uh, as well. So Andrew, thank you so much for taking us on that ride. Um, I think <laughs> we covered a lot of ground, um, great perspective, great wisdom. I'm excited for you and, and, you know, finding your way with Digsy and, and what's ahead. And you're definitely doing your part to, uh, to really accelerate, innovation in your market and, and in this community. So uh, thanks for being part of it. Yeah, I same to you. I love what you and your business partner and the rest of the team are doing to make all of this happen, man. And it, it's, it's evident how much things have changed since you guys have been so committed to this. So thank you. Absolutely. We'll talk soon. <laughs>